0: Al Jazeera podcast. All eyes are on U.S. President Joe Biden to stop the carnage, but he seems to be struggling to assert any influence on Israel. Will the Biden administration yield to growing global pressure and bring about a ceasefire in Gaza? I'm James Bayes, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's discuss all of this further with our guests. In Washington, D.C., we have Nihad Awad, National Executive Director of the Council on American-Islamic Relations Care. That's the largest Muslim civil rights advocacy organization in the U.S., in London, Julie Norman, Associate Professor in Politics and International Relations at University College London. Also in Washington, D.C., Hassan Nemne. He's a scholar and political analyst at the Middle East Institute. Thank you very much, all of you, for joining us today on Inside Stories. So let's look at where the U.S. stands on the current war on Gaza. Can I start with you, Hassan? If we go back to October the 7th. There was a full-throated defence of Israel from President Biden, given the scale and nature of Hamas's attack. Was the public fully behind him then, and are they behind him now? It's important
1: to place what's going on in the US in the context of the culture wars that have been going on, actually, here since the 90s. And uh, here we have really, ultimately, a clash of narratives. We have, with regard to Israel in particular, either you view it uh, as—in the context of uh, Jewish history, as the the, the Jewish people being the victims uh, in the course of uh, millennia of discrimination, of racism, of persecution, or, on the other hand, you place it in the context of uh, national liberation, that the Palestinian people have been victims of occupation, of apartheid, of segregation, and of persecution. So uh, th- th- these two narratives, prior to October seventh, I would say, were already brewing in, in the United States, clearly with the, with the narratives that views the, the Jewish people as victims throughout history, and therefore sees in Israel a resurrection of sorts, being, having the upper hand, at least with the older generation while uh, the, the, new, the, the younger generation being probably more susceptible to accepting the national liberation and viewing Palestine in the context of colonialism and decolonization and viewing the Israel not as the manifestation of, uh, if you'd like, the, the uh, a resolution of Jewish history, but more so another link in a colonial history. Now, I would say these were more or less in the background. October 7th and what happens after brings them to the—bring bring both to the fore and actually in, in ways—in uh, in deliberate ways. For example, on the part of Israel, there was an attempt not simply uh, highlighting the Jewish uh, history, if you'd like, by viewing the attack not in the context of uh, an occupation and resistance to so occupation, even if it included acts of cruelty— and acts of terrorism, but more so in the context of another link, another program. This is why we see, for example, uh, Anthony Blinken going to Israel not just as Secretary of State, but also as—as as he proclaimed it—as a Jew. And therefore, uh, th- this—an th- attempt on the part of uh, the, the, the Israeli, uh, if you'd like, narrative to insist that uh, Hamas is ISIS, what happened on October 7th is akin to what happened on 9/11 in the state is in order exactly to signal within the cultural war wars where where is it that you as an American citizen ought to be placed? And OK, let me, me, let, me bring, let me
0: bring in Julie now on this. Julie, do you agree with that analysis, number one, and where do you think the US voters, because we do, I'm afraid, there's, there's human lives involved here, but we're coming up to an election year in the US, where the US voters stand on this? I, I saw one opinion poll, and admittedly it's from the end of last month, that said 66% of American voters strongly agree or somewhat agree that the US should call for a ceasefire.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting. We have seen the numbers shift a bit, and I would agree that some of this comes down to culture wars or politics or what have you. But I would say, again, there has definitely been a shift within the Democratic Party. The party is pretty much split almost 50 50 right now with where sympathies lie. But what we have seen just in polls that came out today is an over 20% increase of Democrats who are now supporting a ceasefire compared to just last month. So I do think that as the war continues, as the images of casualties continue to come over social media and mainstream media, those calls are increasing, especially on the Democratic side. So um, I do see a bit of a shift in the narrative among public opinion. And we're also seeing, obviously, a shift in messaging from the Biden administration itself. And I think that's partly in response to popular opinion, but even more so in response to what the administration is also observing on the ground and hearing from Arab allies and partners.
0: Nihad, we have a loyal audience from Al Jazeera in the U.S., but, of course, most people are watching uh, the U.S. Uh, television networks and reading the U.S. newspapers, uh, and that is how they're getting their view of this war. Uh, Do you think the U.S. coverage is balanced? Are people getting the whole story?
3: Not at all. Um, The U.S. public has been conditioned for decades, if not for generations, to adopt one narrative and one side, which is the Israeli narrative. Uh, accompanied and aided by the popular culture, whether from Hollywood uh, movies, over 1,000 of them, who uh, depicted Arabs and Muslims and Palestinians in the past three decades as the villains, as anti-civilized people, and people who uh, do not share the Western values uh, uh, and universal values. So the dehumanization of the Palestinians, Arabs, and Muslims not only in in the popular culture, but even in the educational system, in the textbooks, in history books. So, you talk about academia, um, news, and even uh, policies that have been one-sided. So, the the ultimate result is not only a a biased audience, but an audience who believes that there's only one narrative and one narrative alone. October 7th came to culminate this. The way Uh, Israel managed to deceive President Biden and the U.S. media, who uh, prides itself to be objective only when it comes to Middle Eastern and Islamic issues. Israel managed to put in the head of Biden certain claims that were not verified, and this were uh, very damaging to the Palestinian narrative and to what was happening uh, on the ground. For example, the claim of uh, beheaded uh, children, uh, and the, the atrocities that allegedly Hamas committed against uh, the Israelis. There was no mention that it was a military operation mainly against the military uh, uh, posts of, of, of Israel, who have been besieging the, uh, the enclave of Gaza for 16 years. It never talked about uh, October 6th, October 5th, October 4th, October 3rd, October 2nd, October 1st, and the many months before, where Israel has been committing atrocities and has unleashed the the, the violent settlers to invade, burn uh, Palestinian homes, and so on. So, the public has not seen uh, anything about the conflict recently, except on October seventh? So okay, so you l- have, l- l- yes. let me bring
0: in Hassan. Let me bring in Hassan, though. But we have seen, and I'm sure this is. I'm here in Doha at the moment, although I live in New York most of the time. I'm sure U.S. Media is covering those pictures of the Israeli military around the Al-Shifa hospital, the attacks on other hospitals in Gaza City, those pictures, really distressing pictures of those babies in the incubators who had to be taken out of the incubators because there was no fuel, Uh, the first nurse who tried to help those 39 babies shot dead by an Israeli sniper. Are, are, Are these the reasons, do you think, that, as Julie said, polling is changing?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we we have to keep in mind here, yes, there are influence operations in progress on the part of Israel, on the part of uh, uh, the opponents of Israel. But let's not insult the intelligence of the American view, along the lines that, uh, ultimately, yes, uh, sometimes uh, influence operations or, if you like, some uh, misinformation might end up uh, allowing actions such as what we're seeing in Gaza, basically uh, an actual massacre going on under the auspices of, uh, under the claim that it is uh, merely an attack on Hamas. But uh, I think ultimately, one, once provided with the uh, the proper information, the American public is able to, to, to sort through, and it becomes the responsibility of... Uh, the other side to, to provide it. Yes, there's an, an edge, an advantage for Israel in here, but it's not, uh, it's not as, uh, uh, if you'd like, complete as it seems to be at times. And ultimately, uh, these images, the images of horror that are going in Gaza, have already shifted quite a bit of opinion in, in certain circles. In others, they need more clarification. And any justification of uh, The the cruelty of Hamas, Hamas engaged in an operation that had some military aspects to it, maybe, but one cannot deny uh, the the cruelty that has happened, whether it's at the rave or in in the various settlements. And any kind of excuse of that feeds into the whole whole narrative that uh, you cannot listen to the other side. So, so here it's important to underline the fact that uh, the American public watches, listens, uh, sees, and reacts accordingly, it's a question of providing these facts. There is a shift in, in opinion. I don't think that uh, President Biden was uh, railroaded into a position. He has declared himself to be a Zionist, even though he's not Jewish, long ago. And uh, his support of, uh, of the massacre in Gaza, in itself, something to be questioned and to be—actually, uh, he needs to be held accountable for. But that's, Julie, that's another... uh, if
0: I can bring in Julie now, um, we've, we've heard um, the, talking about what's been going on around these uh, hospitals in Gaza City, really, really distressing. I wonder wh- whether some of this, when you hear what President Biden says on some of these things, makes him look weak. Let's just listen to what he said a short time ago. It's my hope and expectation that uh, there will be uh, less intrusive action relative to the hospital. Uh, we're in contact and we're with, uh, with the Israelis. Also, there is an effort to uh, uh, take this pause to deal with the release of prisoners. And that's being negotiated as well with the Qataris uh, engaged. And uh, so I remain somewhat hopeful. But the hospital must be protected. Hospitals must be protected, the US president there, and a spokesman uh, for the National Security Council said, we do not support striking a hospital from the air, and we don't want to see a firefight in a hospital. Julie... Just hours after they said all of that, the Israeli military did a raid inside the biggest hospital in Gaza City, Al-Shifa Hospital.
2: That's exactly right. And we've seen that similar dynamic several times over the last few weeks, whether it was calling for humanitarian pauses or for an increase in in aid uh, delivery or now for the protection of the hospital. So we do hear these statements, these messages from Blinken, from Biden, from others of the administration, and yet we don't see um, Israel heeding those messages on the ground. I think for Biden, there was a a kind of a gamble that if he embraced Israel quite publicly at the start um, of of everything after October 7th, um, that maybe he would have a little bit more leverage privately behind the scenes to give some of these messages. But as the operation very quickly unfolded. I think the administration saw very quickly that Israel was not um, going to uh, to take all the guidance that the U.S. thought they might, whether it is in terms of surgical strikes, whether in terms of the humanitarian aid, or now in terms of the hospital. So I think that's been a little bit damaging to the administration in terms of just really showing the, um, the limitations, if you will, of the leverage that they have with Israel, even as their messaging has somewhat shifted over this last month.
0: Nihad, So, yes, Joe Biden calling for more aid to go in and only uh, a very small number of trucks have gone in. Um, I did some calculations since the 21st of October. It's an average of... 46 trucks a day, which the UN says is wholly inadequate. Uh, They wanted fuel to go in. Apparently, some fuel is now going in, a tiny amount of fuel, but there hasn't been any fuel for any of those other days. They didn't want attacks on hospitals. Uh, The US made it clear it wanted a role for the Palestinian Authority at the end of the conflict. Netanyahu seems to have ruled that out. Tell me. What leverage does the U.S. have if it really wanted to use it?
3: The U.S. has all the leverage. Uh, uh, The state of Israel would not be able to inflict all this suffering on the Palestinians, both from a military, economic, uh, and other aspects of the suffering that the Palestinians are are, are undergoing without the total support of of the United States, whether the military support, the diplomatic support, the the justification, the, the, uh, the excuse... Uh, excusing of Israel's behavior, the ability of the U.S. to prevent and veto the international community's will uh, to uh, 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 rail, uh, you know, uh, in Israel uh, and just—or uh, uh, or punish the, the the state of Israel for the horrible uh, crimes and the uh, crimes against the humanity that has been committing. So, If the U.S. wants, it can uh, ask Israel to stop, and Israel would have no choice to stop. It may take a long time, because the Israeli army has been humiliated by Hamas and by the steadfastness of the Palestinians in Gaza, who were asked one time after another to leave their homes and become a second time in their lives or in their parents' lives generations to be refugees and to establish the other The second Nakba. So Israel definitely uh, is under the influence of the United States, but also you cannot underestimate the influence of the pro Israel PACs and lobbies in the United States, who almost, and it is a known fact around the world, not only in the US, that they bought the will of the Congress and the main politicians who decide on the budget and how much Israel will take. For example, The students in the United States suffer from, uh, you know, loan that they have to pay. We have so much uh, unemployed people. We have so many uh, uninsured people in the United States. Our infrastructure is suffering. And when they want to, uh, 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 you know, uh, spend any money on this, even our government could be shut down because of the partisan conflict. But when it comes to Israel, they will just find a quick $14 billion to ship uh, to the state of Israel without any accountability, without any ability to the U.S. to say, stop it there, and Israel would listen. So, okay.
0: there's an influence. Uh, Hassan, the,
2: the you heard decide, Nihad. Hassan,
0: Hassan, you heard Nihad there saying that the U.S. has this great leverage, potentially. Tell us, in the current political situation, though, can President Biden use that leverage?
1: No, not really. The, the U.S. not only has leverage, the U.S. actually effectively is, uh, if uh, once this money is transferred to Israel, is financing the war, is uh, rewarding Israel for the war. And therefore, the responsibility of the Biden administration for the massacre that's going on in Gaza is clear. But can uh, Joe Biden act differently? Well, I I do not see him wanting to act differently. But even if he wanted to, uh, well, we are in an election season. I mean, elections are a year away, but uh, we're already kind uh, of—the positioning is taking place. I see him, if he tries to nudge Netanyahu in a direction that Netanyahu does not want, being attacked and attacked harshly from the side of uh, uh, all the Republican— Camp. I mean, we're talking here about all those who would like to be uh, his opponent in the uh, in the November 2024 elections. They, they would uh, savage him uh, by saying that you've abandoned our ally. And there's enough of of support, meaning at at the at the base level, in order to pile that up to the other accusations that Biden is facing, in order to weaken him. But if he does not, and he does not seem to be doing it, well, he risks alienating. Uh, uh, Arab Americans and Muslim Americans and progressive Americans and others uh, and others who see that, that uh, the, the US complicity is not acceptable and in particular in those key states where uh, where he needs to win in order to secure a second term so really he's not in a good position but frankly he comes across as a weak leader unable to influence his ally in uh, I'm talking about Israel unable to make a decision that would uh, basically shield him from criticism and secure his second
0: win. Julie, what about the other allies that the US has? There seems to be division in Europe, but there are some big, important players that are pushing now for a permanent ceasefire. Countries like France and Spain, perhaps a slightly smaller country, Ireland, but it's a country that has real resonance with this president. Do you think he'll be listening to what some of those countries are saying?
2: Well, sure. I mean, I think all of this is feeding into the the international conversation. Um, Trudeau and Canada made some more pointed comments yesterday as well. But at the end of the day, what the U.S. says on this issue um, is tends to be uh, you know kind of kind of sets their their own agenda with with Israel and doesn't always go along with where the rest of the world is on this. And if any if anything, the the directional pull is usually the other way. Um, I will say, I think it's more the situation on the ground more than um, pressure from other allies or things like that, that would maybe shift things for the Biden administration and for Biden personally. And again, I think we have started to see some of that already. And just as um, as the operation continues and the reality on the ground change, that does constantly change the calculations. I think Initially, there was a sense from the Biden administration to come out strong with a, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself. And I think most allies got behind that very quickly. I think where things started to change was how they go about doing that. And that's what we've seen playing out progressively over these last few weeks, that's why we're starting to see allies change their messaging. And again, Biden slightly doing it, but in real terms, um, you know, I think is still very much standing with with Israel. And I think, um, you know, as uh, as others have mentioned, politically needs to do that, but I think personally also wants to do that at this moment, um, while, while still trying to restrain the civilian casualties, um, at least through rhetoric.
0: Nihad, what about the legal perspective to all of this? Because on this programme, I've had numerous international lawyers and nearly every one of them says that Israel in some way or another is breaching international humanitarian law and we've got the International Criminal Court investigating as well. I know the US isn't signed up to this, but do you think the White House is worried about being seen as complicit in terms of law?
3: No, I mean, in, in terms of legal action against the US or Israel... That's like after the war is, is, is over. Uh, so I don't think the, uh, any side is worried about that. Uh, and it, it can be deflected for a later time. But if I may say, the real pressure that the administration fears and may force, uh, may, may force the administration to take uh, a position and, and start shifting the language, as we have been seeing in the past two weeks, is local pressure. Definitely the reality on the ground. Uh, uh, determines a lot of what next to be done from the side of Israel, whether it was able to achieve military uh, goals or not, which I believe it has failed, uh, uh, you know, so far. And that's why it's been uh, trying to pressure Hamas by killing more civilians and invading hospitals, bombing schools, and so on and so forth. Yet the the, the people of Gaza are still standing, and they're not uh, complaining. I mean, when I say they're, they're, they're not complaining, they're not turning against the Palestinian resistance. But the key pressure on the administration today is the voters, especially American Muslim voters and Arab American voters, who send a clear message to President Biden that if there is no ceasefire, you will not get votes. You will not get votes in the uh, battleground states like Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio, Nevada, uh, and so on. So that will force him to think about the interests of his party, the Democratic Party, versus the interests of Israel. When these things start to be more distinguished uh, along the lines of, you know, your own interest, you will see a different language and more pressure on the administration to exert on, 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 on Israel.
0: Well, Julie, just adding to that, do you think he'll, he'll be affected by more pressure coming from his own people? Because we're seeing all sorts of letters of dissent being signed by political appointees, by members of the US Agency for International Development and people in, 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 in the State Department. Do you think that will have an effect on this president? He'll know lots of those people who are signing those letters.
2: Yeah, I think it's notable that we're seeing these public letters and statements coming out from, you know, within the State Department, within USAID, within some of these important agencies. I do think it makes a difference. And we know that Secretary of State Blinken has tried to address some of these concerns and take some of these uh, concerns on board. Um, But with that said, again, at the end of the day, I think that Biden's policies towards Israel and towards Israel-Palestine is probably going to be a little bit bigger picture than any one um, single protest or action is going to influence. And, you know, again, this is a very, um, obviously, very sensitive issue right now in the United States. And I think he knows that um, he probably is not going to please everyone, whether it's voters and constituents, whether it's persons working in the administration, whether it's policymakers. um, There are very strong opinions across the board, and I think he's very aware of that. He's also not new to this conflict. He's been engaged with Israel now for decades, and I think that is um, really influencing his steer on this more than, again, any one set of public opinion or one poll or something like that.
0: Thank you very much, Julie. Thank you to all our guests today, Julie Norman, Hassan Naimne and Nihad Awad. This episode was produced by Shantanu Chatterjee, Kara Legg, Fungi Nguyen, Veronica Pedroza and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Alexander Chagrin. The programme was edited by Alexander Kola, Zainabada, and Joe De Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening and join me on Thursday for our next episode.
1: Coming up on The Take, after October 7th, thousands of workers from Gaza with legal permits were suddenly labeled illegal aliens by Israel. So what happened to them? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.